Um, well, y'all, I'm back. I'm back. I love being here. I love being with you guys. Um, PVN, this is awesome. Love this stuff. Um, and it's been a minute since I spoke up here, but I'm really pumped to be back here with you. Um, so today is going to be the first part of a two-part message where we're going to learn more about what God's heart for us looks like and how God's heart is just full of love and joy for us and what that specifically looks like with seeing God as a father, with seeing him as a dad. And so today and next week, I'm going to be going through three stories all in Luke chapter 15, but I'm really going to focus on the last story, and I would love if y'all could please, like, take notes, like, splash water on your face, do whatever you got to do to, like, stay engaged, um, especially the last story, which is called the parable of the prodigal son. So the story is called the parable of the prodigal son, but it's really a story about two sons, an older son and a younger son. Um, but I'm here to tell you something probably a little bit different than what you've heard about this story, um, because I think the stories are mainly about the heart of their father and how their father has the same love and joy in their hearts for them just as much as he does for each and every one of you guys here in this room. Um, so this time around, we're going to focus on the father and the older son. And next time around, y'all got to come next week. Next week is going to be awesome, too. We're going to be focusing on the father and the younger son. But let's go ahead and dive in here. Who's ready for story time with Brian? I, I am. I'm, I've been pumped for story time with Brian. All right, let's get into some context, though. We do love some context because we got to understand, like, what we're digging into here. So question first. How can we learn more about God's love and joy for us and what it specifically looks like as a father in Luke chapter 15? Well, let's see how the first two stories set that up. We're going to look at the first 10 verses first and understand our audience, right? The audience of who Jesus was talking to and what he was saying to them and why he was saying what he was saying to them. But before we do that, imagine something with me, okay? Like, close your eyes, do what you got to do to get in the imagination mood, right? Okay, imagine you're, um, so imagine a person in your head, don't say it out loud, imagine someone in your head that just makes you mad, or someone that is just like really tough to get along with. It could be me, you know, who knows? Um, or, okay, okay, imagine that, or um, imagine somebody else too at the same time who is someone you look up to, uh, is someone who may be a mentor in your life, okay? Get, get that image in your head, maybe like a celebrity. Okay, now imagine the both of those people that you just thought of. Imagine them sitting down, having a meal together, laughing, telling stories, joking, doing life together. All right, with that image in your head, let's go ahead and jump into Luke 15, verses 1 through 2. So it'll be up on the screen for you guys following along. So now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see why I had you imagine that now? Because just in these first two verses, we get a whole bunch of the context we need to understand the audience Jesus is about to communicate one message to. Like this audience is already mad about something, okay? So to understand the stories um, in the Bible, you've got to understand the audience and why certain things in the story would be important to the audience. Because I feel like sometimes we miss the whole point of the Bible when we're quick to just throw ourselves into stories and make it all about us. Like we've got to understand context. So the audience in this chapter that Jesus is telling the stories to are made up of two kinds of people. And the first kind, the audience that Jesus is mainly speaking to, we'll focus on them a lot today. The main audience is the Pharisees and scribes. So who were these people? 
These were people, um, or basically they were Jewish people practicing Jewish culture who were the religious leaders of the time. People who thought that they knew it all, they knew what to do and how to do it to get saved. They thought that they had to like do things to like be in good relationship with God. So they thought they had to earn their relationship with God. In fact, they thought they were so perfect in what they were doing, so much to the point where they thought they didn't need Jesus. They were just like anti-Jesus. And, and it sounds like a lot of how we can be, though, sometimes too, right? That we think we know what we're doing, we think we got it all, we're good, you know? Um, but the next group in the audience is the tax collectors and sinners, So these were a group of people who were drawn to Jesus' presence, even though they were like social outcasts in Jewish culture. Um, Some of these people may have believed that they were like too lost or unclean to have a relationship with God because of like what they've done before in their past, like with sin, or they just didn't care enough to pursue God um, because they just really didn't understand his heart for them. And they thought that they had to be like a Pharisee to be in right relationship with God. They thought they had to do something for God. But guys, get this, get this. Jesus taught them differently. So if you're taking notes, here's one note to write down. It's not a main point, but they were drawn to Jesus because he taught them that the relationship with God they can have isn't about what you can do to be good enough to get to God, but what God has done to get to you. Okay, so Jesus sees that these Pharisees, they're getting mad, right? They're getting mad. They're grumbling about the fact he's hanging out with these people, and they see, um, like, these Pharisees see all those other people as, like, undeserving of love and joy because they're not, like, the cool Pharisees, right, who got it all together. So the Pharisees are trying to do all these things that have a relationship with God, but they're completely, get this, y'all, they're completely missing the point. They're completely missing the love and joy that they could have in relationship with God. They're not understanding his heart. Whereas the tax collectors and the sinners, even though they were once lost, they didn't even care about a relationship with God, they're understanding the heart of God more and are drawn to Jesus and experience it because they, they just get it. They get the message that Jesus is sharing. And so Jesus sees the anger of the Pharisees after, you know, Jesus' teaching and stuff. And so Jesus, kind of addressing them, he tells three stories or parables to respond. So the first two are called the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. Okay, so let me sum up these two so we can get to the third story really quick. Uh, Bear with me. I'm just trying to build up for the third one. The third one is huge. So we're going to go in the Brian translation really quick. I'll sum up these stories. The first one is kind of like this. Jesus asked the Pharisees, well, if a good shepherd owned 100 sheep but lost one, wouldn't they not leave the 99 others to go after that one to find it? And when they found that sheep, wouldn't they celebrate remember that word, celebrate, like crazy with friends because they found what was lost. And after saying that, so essentially Jesus hammers home that point by saying um, that there's joy in heaven, or in other words, there's a party in heaven over one sinner that repents and turns away from relationship with sin to relationship with God. That's what repents means. Um, Then over 99 people who think that they have it all together, that they don't need Jesus, they don't need to turn away from their sin to have a relationship with God. So Jesus, without stopping, he tells the second parable of the lost coin to drive this message further by telling a story about a woman who has 10 coins, she loses one, and then she lights a lamp and, like, goes around her house with this lamp and, like, cleans the whole house just to find it. Okay, wild, right? You know, this crazy story. Okay, just bear with me. Bear with me. Keep it going. It gets better. Well, when she found it, she what? Remember that word I told you to remember? Celebrated. She celebrated. Yeah, you see the theme here? She celebrated. She had joy. And she called her friends to celebrate with her over the fact that she found that one lost coin. So Jesus, again, he hammers the point home by saying how much joy God has over one person who repents, meaning turns away from sin, and turns to having relationship with God. 
And so Jesus is trying to reveal to these audiences, specifically to the Pharisees, more about who God is so they get how to have a relationship with God, so they can understand God's heart of love and joy for them. Because obviously the Pharisees who think that they know it all, who have been studying this stuff, who went to Sunday school all their lives, you know, they're missing the point. They're mad. They're furious. Um, So some pastors and scholars have noticed that in these three stories, Jesus is showing us the nature of God as the Trinity, which the Trinity is God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how all three of them, they all have the same joy and love over us. So get this, ready? So in order for us to understand God's love and joy for us as the Father, which is what we're going to be unpacking today, we got to understand that God the Son and God the Spirit had the same love and joy for us too. It is, it is the same. God is the same in, in the Trinity. So the shepherd is the Son, Jesus seeking and saving the lost. The second parable shows the spirit revealing the lost coin, exposing what needs saving. And the last story is going to show a representation of God the Father. But that's enough Trinitarian like theology for now. I don't want to like tiptoe towards heresy um, because the more and more you talk about the Trinity, you can kind of go in that area. So we're, we're going to avoid that. Okay. But before we dive into the story, I want to preface something. And I really, I really want to get real for a second. And um, yeah, can we get real for a second? It would be uncaring of me to assume everyone in here has had a great relationship with their dad. Some dads have given us a poor image of what God looks like, whether it was a word they said, words they said, things they did. Some dads have really been hard on us, man. They've been mean. They've been absent. Some of us may have had good dads, and yet at the same time, some of us may not even know their dad. So to try to understand God as being this, like, father full of love and joy for us, it can be, like, hard and honestly even painful and confusing. And I know what that's like. I'm standing here saying that because I know what that's like. And out of love, I just want to speak to you today and tell you a truth that a pastor shared in a, in a message and in a book with me that has helped me understand God's love and joy over me. And it's my first point today, and it'll, it'll be on the screen. Um, it's that God is not the reflection of your earthly dad. He is the perfection of your earthly dad. Do you get that? The perfection. I want you to know that no matter what's happened between you and your earthly dad, that God is your father has never given up on you. He's never forgotten about you and that he has love and joy to lavish over you. And so why would Jesus save that story for last? The story of God the father? Well, I think one thing we got to know is that Jesus spoke about God as a father in the gospels more than any other description. So it's kind of important for us to know. And Jesus says that he and the Father are one, and that no one gets to the Father except through him. So we have to understand Jesus. We have to understand God as the Father. And Jesus embodies the joy and the love of the Father for us, and he wants to share it with us. That's the awesome thing about this. Guys, Jesus came so we, like Jesus, would also experience relationship with God the Father. So let's keep reading the story together, and uh, along the way, I'm going to take like little breaks and break it down, and um, so we can just talk about it. You know, sound good? Sound good? Yeah? Yeah? We're tracking? Okay, we're awake. Good. We got some ice over there. Nice. All right, so great. The moment we've all been waiting for, finally, we've made it to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. We're going to hit this story. Let's get it. So verse 11, it says this, and he said, there's a man who had two sons, and the younger, the younger of them said to his father, father, Give me the share of your property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and he squandered his property in reckless living. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired out uh, one, of the civilian, or so one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, no one gave him anything. And so we're going to go ahead and unpack more about the younger son next week. But to kind of sum up what's going on here, I don't know if y'all caught it, but like things aren't going too well for this guy. Like not at all. Like so first off, I just want to say like for the younger son to tell his dad, yeah, dad, give me my inheritance. Like back then in that culture, that was like telling his dad, yeah, dad, I wish you were dead. Like <laughs> that's pretty awful, right? That's, that's, that's tough. He wanted the things of the father, but he didn't want the father. He wanted the things that God could provide, but he didn't want a relationship with God. Yet at the same time, I feel like that can be like us sometimes, wanting the blessings of God, but not wanting to experience the blessing that is living in relationship with him. Well, don't worry, because it gets worse, because, you know, he ended up living it up, uh, living in sin and reckless lifestyles to the point where when life got really rough, when there was a famine that happened, you know, it knocked him on his butt into a pig pen, and he wasn't even able to even eat the pig's food. Like, talk about rock bottom. That is the lowest of lows. Um, and for, you know, in the Jewish culture, like, that was seen as disgusting. That was seen as, like, you just didn't want to be a part of, like, that was just nasty. Um, so let's keep reading, though. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, I love that, I love that phrase, because what that means, that's like repentance. When he, when he realized that what he was trying to fill the God-sized hole in his heart wasn't working and desired to turn from sin, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he realized being in his father's presence was better than everything else he was doing and anything else that had happened to him. And so he wanted to seek relationship with the father, God, again. But and we'll talk about this more next week. I'm, I'm trying to get to what we're really focusing on. He wanted to go to his father with a speech because he felt shame for his sins and that he had to do something to be good enough to be considered a son again. It's kind of like that Pharisee mindset, right, that I was mentioning earlier, trying to figure out what he could do to get to God. So his conclusion was to return as a servant, not a son, not to be part of the family, not to be greeted by his dad. So let's keep reading and see what happens. Verse 20. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You know what that means, y'all? That means that his dad was looking. That his dad was expectantly looking, waiting for his son to come home. And his father felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father cutting off his son before he could give a speech to try to do something to be good enough. He said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring him the fat and calf and let us eat and what? Celebrate. The word I told you to remember. There you go. Yeah, you're checking. <laughs> For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Do you see how God as a father showed joy and love over this child that turned away from his sin and towards relationship. 
he poured out love and affection over him. He was running to him, which, like, you just didn't do if you were a Jewish dad. Like, for some reason, Jewish dads didn't run. Um, he was loving on him, honoring him with the coolest clothes and the best food. He even called, like, a party to happen to celebrate. Like, that was awesome. But get this, y'all. The Pharisees at this point, the Pharisees, who you're going to see soon are, like, the older sons in the story, by now, they're, they're furious. Like, they were already mad, but they're probably, like, fuming. They're about, they're about to explode. They're not there yet, but they're about to explode. Because for a Jewish father to run and to do all that uh, to a son who treated him that poorly, who took the inheritance and left and did that, was embarrassing. Um, and, and Jewish fathers back in that culture, they wouldn't have even brought that son back. That was, that was just wrong. In fact, like, in that culture, the returning son, who would have been considered not only dead for leaving the way he did, um, but also ashamed to his family, he probably, that, that son, would have probably been beaten, rejected, and required to do something to earn his status back in the family. But what Jesus is showing us is although that's what fathers would do back then, that God our Father is not like that. And our Father rejoices over us in heaven when we turn back to him. Y'all wanna know something? The celebration in heaven it's been going on. It's been going on for a while. And it's been going on for people turning to God and coming to him. And God is pouring out love and joy over sinners that are repenting of their sin and turning to relationship with God. It's been going on. Like, it's not just waiting. It's been going on. And people have been enjoying the love and the joy of their father. Do you guys want that? Do you want that? And if not, if there's something in you that doesn't want that, why? Let's think about that. Um, let's dig a little bit more. So verse 25. Now his older son, and Jesus, is probably looking right at the Pharisees right now, just like dead in the eye probably. He's looking right at them. He was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called out one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, well, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father, look, not, hey, dad, just look. These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. That is a lot. Let's unpack that for a second. Let's stop there. Let's dig into some context, okay? Because first off, I just want to say for the older son to not know that a celebration was going on would have not only looked bad on him, but it would have looked bad on the father as well. The son should have been there. But yet, the older son goes trying to earn the father's love and joy by working hard. It sounds kind of like us, right? To earn the father's joy by working hard. Dad, look, I got that A. Dad, aren't you proud of me? Dad, look, I just scored. Dad, look, I got the job. Dad, hey, I got into that school that I've been applying to. I got the scholarship. Dad, aren't you proud of me? Guys, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because deep down inside of our hearts, we all have a place in the core of who we are to feel the blessing of our earthly and heavenly father. And the older son, the Pharisees, didn't understand that because they didn't have a relationship with God. They thought that they knew God. They thought they had a relationship with God, but they were completely missing his heart. And on top of that, the older son didn't call his brother by the title of brother. He said, this son of yours. Like, the older son felt not only out of relationship with God the Father, but he felt like out of relationship with his family. 
And also, the father being full of love and joy, he took on the cultural embarrassment of having to go out to get his son, who was outside having a pity party temper tantrum because I didn't get my way and I didn't get the stuff. How embarrassing would that have been? On top of all that, did you hear the entitlement in the older son's voice? Man, he was angry. He was really angry, as if he would never do anything wrong. Sounds a lot like the Pharisees. And yet at the same time, I think that sounds a lot like us. Denying anything we did wrong, that we got it all together and we don't need anyone. We're prideful, jealous, angry, rude, hurtful, sinful, lost. And you, you want to know if you're acting like the older son? See if that list of descriptors that I just said doesn't reflect how you are acting. See if that doesn't reflect you. And yet, watch the father's response in, in verses 31 and 32. Here's what we're going to focus on as we're starting to wrap up. Listen to the grace that he meets the older son with. This is verses 31 and 32. And he said to him, the father said to the older son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Can you imagine, can you hear the, the, the tone of just love and joy that the Father has? Like once again, we see that the heart of our heavenly Father is one of joy and love in this. And he even communicates that through the words here to the older son. Whereas he could have treated this son who was just as lost as the younger son with the same treatment the younger son deserved, the love of the Father spoke words to bring about reconciliation, which is a big word that means reestablishing relationship between them. And that was something that both sons didn't deserve. Those words had the love of the Father in them. These were the loving, grace-filled, and joy-filled words that the Father left the older son with. But I don't know if you guys noticed it, but like that's not the end. like that. That was the end of the story. Like we're left on a cliffhanger. Like that. That was the last verse. You look in Luke 15. That's it. And then we go to the next chapter. Like that was that was it. And so we're left to wonder where Jesus leaves us. Jesus is the best storyteller of all time, right? And Jesus leaves us on a cliffhanger here, and he leaves us at the end to wonder at the story, how will the older brother, the older son, respond? And can I ask y'all something? Can I ask y'all something again? Like, how would you guys respond? How would each of you respond? Would you respond in anger? Would you still be jealous of your of the younger son? Would you make yourself the victim? Would you doubt the joy and love that the father has over you too? Would you deny his desire for a relationship with you even when you don't deserve it and even when you didn't want it? Because to be honest, I think we would. And, and while I don't want to write an ending here because that would be heretical, all right? Check out Revelation and Deuteronomy if you're, if you're confused on that, okay? We're, we're not adding to scripture. But I'll tell you this, this is where the gospel comes in. This is where the beauty of the gospel comes in. This is the good news for us. And here's my next point. Jesus didn't say the ending to the story because he had to show it. Jesus didn't say the ending to the story because he had to show it. And if this story did have an ending, one pastor said that it would have ended with the older son picking up a large piece of wood and beating his father to death with it. You see the gospel reflected in that statement? You see Jesus on the cross in that statement? Jesus didn't have to communicate that ending because when we, the older brothers and the sons of that story, didn't deserve it, Jesus, and this is what Hebrews says, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, 
caring less about the shame and embarrassment that would come with it that we deserved. And he died through taking our punishment that we deserve for our sins on the cross. He took away our sins and he replaced them with his goodness and his righteousness so that we didn't have to be good enough to do anything for our dad. We didn't have to be good enough to have a relationship with God the Father. And Jesus rose again. He rose again for the joy that you and I can experience in a loving and joy-filled relationship with God the Father. And so Jesus reveals God's heart of love and joy, but the only question now is, are y'all gonna receive it? Are y'all going to receive the Father's love for you, the Father's joy for you? You see, a lot of us, when reading the story, we try to figure out which son we are. We're the, we're the younger or we're the older you know, son, if, if you're a daughter in here, same thing. You, you may want to start to notice that you feel that you identify with like one or the other or both, and that's okay. But let me tell you, if that's what you get, that's not the point of this story. Because what I'd like to challenge you with today is to see that in our walk with God, we're often both sons. Both sons are just as lost like us in our sin, both in need of God to save us, and both wanting the things God offers more than relationship with God the Father. And as Christians or self-dependent people of today, we easily get the older sin mentality that I focused on today. We think that there's something good that we can do to save ourselves, and, and there's not. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. And, and so the point of Uh, trying to understand these stories is not just trying to not be the older son or or not be the younger son. It's not about behavior. But the point that Jesus is trying to get you to see is this, is the bottom line of today. The story of the two sons is supposed to point us to the heart of love and joy in God the Father over those who repent of their sins and turn to relationship with him. And and I'm gonna start wrapping up right here, y'all, but do you guys know God's heart for you? Is this the first time that you've been able to realize that God's heart for you in the midst of your pride has been love and joy? Please, y'all, if you've never experienced a relationship with God where you've wanted to know his heart, or if you want to surrender to God as Lord for the first time in your life and and engage in relationship with your father, we're about to close with some worship, and Paul's going to come up, and and during that, I'd like to invite you to come up and talk to me. Man, come, come up and talk to me. Talk to Ryan in the back. Talk to any volunteer in the back. And, and talk about what it looks like for you to get to know God's heart as a father deeper. Or, or maybe you're in the boat where you thought you used to know God's heart, but with where you feel you're at in life, you feel like you've wandered out of the house away because you're lost, or you've wandered out of the house away because you're angry. Because you're angry with God as your dad. Can I tell you something today? the opportunity to get to know the Father's heart is extended to you too. He fully knows you and he fully loves you and he has joy over you. Did you catch that? Did you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Like your father loves you. He hasn't given up on you. There's nothing that you can do to scare him away. No matter what has happened, the father is calling you back home. He's calling you back in relationship with him. So I'm pleading you today, don't leave without reflecting on if you know the father's heart of love and joy for you. And if you have relationship with him, don't leave today like the older son, thinking that you don't need it, or that you have it all together That leaves you separated from God from eternity. Don't think that you know God, but completely miss out on understanding his heart of love and joy for relationship with you. Y'all repent, turn away from sin and turn to the arms of your father. Let's pray really quick and then Paul will lead us.